It's that time of the year again. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to episode 2 of F1 in Review 2023. I'm Tom Claiborne and I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher as we stare down the barrel of yet another rapidly approaching F1 season Formula 1 coming up. We've got the first race in Bahrain this weekend. We're of course recording before this. Uh, so we're going to make our predictions for the season this episode. Looking forward to that Grand Prix in question. But first of all, we had testing in Bahrain, three days worth of it. And it's worth looking, first of all, I feel, about the the winners of this testing because yes there's going to be those who do well now and tail off later and those who do poorly in testing and then come up trumps later on but Tristan from what you've seen so far after these three days of testing done and dusted a single hit this time versus last year which is a bit more drawn out what do you think in terms of who's the main winner of this testing so far? It was a very interesting testing and I, I said the thing last week I'm not going to tune into it all I ended up tuning into most of it in one way or another. Uh, I work from home in my day job, so I stuck up on the in the background, just kept an ear out, um, listened to also on the on the radio. It's you know it was a long old testing session, three days, pretty much all day. It coasted me nicely to the end of my uh, working day and uh, kept me entertained to some extent when I was listening to the goss um, <laughs> that was occurring down on, on the paddock. Plus, it's, you know, testing, so we're all very excited, maybe overanalyzing, not much. But the main winner, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, is Aston Martin. In pure PR perspective, they are the biggest winner. Everyone is talking about Aston Martin. And the reason for that is because it seems to be Aston Martin's week in terms of performance. Whether or not this will actually translate onto the track is another matter, but it's everyone seems to think that they could be a high midfield team and, and perhaps even rival Mercedes. Can you imagine that? I mean, let's, can, we, can we imagine it? We can imagine it. Can we believe it? Don't know. No. I mean, it's got I everyone don't. very excited. It's got everyone very excited. I think maybe it's the idea of Fernando Alonso, who is so used to making these awful moves in his career, going back to the McLaren Honda disaster class, going to Alpine, going to going to Renault over Red Bull back in two thousand eight, and everyone thought he'd done it again at Aston Martin. But they're looking pretty quick, and rumours abound of an upgrade as well yeah. uh, leading into Bahrain have led people to talk about will Fernando Alonso be world champion this year um, possibly <laughs> is that a just a la- Alonso talking about that yeah. it's possibly. <laughs> I think it's so desperate but um, yeah I have to agree with you Tristan they had a blinding test um, at the end of the day I, I think that it's probably best to trust the experts on these things and even if you do get the odd sort of sandbagging and team principles playing up rivals to make themselves look uh Sort of, or not or to play themselves down in a different kind of way. I think that the experts are saying that Aston Martin have almost certainly jumped from the bottom of the midfield to the top of the midfield. So I think we can, even if we're it's premature to talk about podiums and wins, I think that Fernando Alonso gets scoring some good points in Australia and for these early parts of the season could be a definite reality. They did this though with by just dumping their entire car ethos from from last year it's worth yeah. highlighting that the aston martin have basically produced a, a a mix of lots and lots of different cars on the grid they've got very very straight cut side pods they've taken little bits and from from other teams they got it looks like they've got maybe the 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 new s duck going on 
They've mm. they've certainly looked around and thought, right, this we'll take this from one car and this from another car and sort of jam it together in a in a in a bit of a, a hybrid of them all. And it seems to you know, it seems to have worked in a way that perhaps their that thinking hasn't worked before. Let's not forget that, that Aston Martin was covered in controversy uh, you know, across the last couple of seasons because they basically copied Mercedes' car and it was nicknamed the Pink Mercedes because it was identical. And then last year they came out with a car that no one else had, decided there's a reason why no one else had it, and then basically <laughs> copied the Red Bull and were called the the Green Bulls for a bit. Christian Horner said, "Do you remember Sir Christian Horner sitting on the pit wall with a green Red Bull in his his hand, um, playing <laughs> playing up to to the memes there?" And so this time they've they've come out with. A car that is definitely independent from anyone else, but certainly mashes together a lot of the of the upgrades that perhaps we saw at the end of last season and into this season. Yeah, definitely. I'm a bit concerned, though, if I were an Aston Martin fan, Fernando Alonso, part of the Stroll dynasty, if you will, that this is Alpine 2.0, because we heard and saw the same sort of things in testing and uh, practices and qualifyings, even in some regards, in the early aspects of, look at us, we're so quick. If we just got this right, we'll be right up there at the top. Just you wait for us, just you wait, and it never really materialised. So when it comes to testing, I think you want to be going a job uh, about your job quietly, consistently, surprising a few but not making that much noise because once you set that bar really high, particularly when you're Aston Martin, particularly when you're Fernando Alonso, particularly when you're somebody or a team who's not one of the big three, shall we say, all the eyes go on you, all the lights go on you, um, all the glasses go on you as such, uh, microscopic glasses that is, and everyone looks at you and that perhaps isn't what you need going into the first race. So on the flip side of that, if the bar's really low, though, and you're doing really well in testing, that's always a good thing. And I think a team that ticks that box is definitely Williams, because you think back to how poorly they did at testing previously, 2019. They were late there, famously, of course. But they've done pretty well, I think. They'd be my personal winner. They've got total laps of 439, the second highest. Fastest lap, um, but it was actually by Logan Sargent, being the ninth quickest. It's a low bar, but our thoughts on Williams. Perhaps they're one of the, the bigger winners of this season's testing. Uh, oh, I don't know. They didn't stand out massively to me. They did seem more solid, say, than they have been in previous years. I mean, I don't think... You refer to 2019. I don't think you can get much worse than turning up for testing two days late. Um, so, yeah, that would be a low bar to set themselves against. But I say, yeah, they look they look solid and sort of maybe unspectacular. I think they've got, for them, it's a not a priority, but they've got a rookie, Logan Sargent, who they, of course, want to bed in. Um, and they want to make sure that he's getting the most out of the car early doors in that sort of period where he's not going to be at the top at the top of his game because he's still getting used to things and sort of working things out um i don't don't think they necessarily caught my interest but i'd say that they did a relatively solid job one team that caught my interest and it's it's an easy one to say but we all want to say it anyway is red bull um they look extremely fast is it a surprise no not really um, their race runs look, according to the experts again, about 0.3 seconds faster than other teams, which is quite a healthy margin, you might say. Um, so they're once again looking like they might be the team to beat. Um, do you guys think that Ferrari and Mercedes will start the season close, or do you think that Red Bull already have that advantage? They might definitely be a winner. What do you guys think? I mean, Red Bull, absolutely. I, I mean, they, they are not... It was far, hard to say whether or not they were a, a winner because it was just a continuation of dominance. I think this mm. time they were in a league above winner. Um, for me, they they just as 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 you'd want every testing session to go. They kind of just had it. It was nice and easy. Max looked like he was in total control of the car, just cruising on round and getting the data that they needed from the team. Sergio Perez as well looked very relaxed. It's always nice when they're they're smiling. Um, if I may just refer back to Tom's Williams comment for a second, uh, I'm also in agreement with you, Angus. I didn't find Williams to be particularly spectacular. I mean, they have come from so far back off the pace that I don't think they were ever going to come out with a car that was going to be smack banging them in the midfield. Um, but they they have made some inroads into their lap time. It looks like they are catching up. Um, with the back markers now but that's that's 
I think indicative of where they are in their road back to the midfield is going to be a few more strides, perhaps. But it, that's not to say that they def they can't do it by the end of the season. But to me, it, it looked like that they were just making another incremental step forward. It was very, it would be very interesting actually to see where they are by the end of the season. But I, I can see them being in, in, unfortunately in tenth place still. But at least they turned up to testing uh, on time this time, uh, as opposed um, to when they were late, I think about four years ago now, which was very, very unfortunate. Uh, but Red Bull, absolutely, I think they're going to be far and away the, the fastest um, of anyone this year. Max got the fastest lap this year. Last year, it was I think it was Sergio Perez who had the fastest lap um, during testing. So again, Red Bull then, Red Bull now. Absolutely fantastic for them. Whether or not Mercedes and Ferrari are going to be on the same pace is a really interesting question. My gut feeling is it's going to be Ferrari outpacing Mercedes. But yep. what do you think, Tom? Do you think no side pods is still got the, the potential of performance that Mercedes has been telling us they have? Mm. Yeah, they've been telling us a lot of things, haven't they? But when they've been taking that out on track, it's not perhaps been as good as their sort of words were before testing, that is. I think we're looking once again at a fight between Red Bull and Ferrari. I thought Ferrari were very consistent in terms of their pace and their reliability as well. It was somewhat sort of stable... Uh, it was quite comfortable for them. There were no s severe issues. It was quite boring, really, for Ferrari, which is alien, really, comparing that to how their racecraft was in the latter stages, at least, the middle stages and the start of last season. But then flip that on the head with Mercedes, and it doesn't look great, does it, really? I mean, total laps, 398, that's 7 out of 10. They're always known for their reliability, not having issues, but seemingly not in this testing, at the very least. Uh, fastest lap, though, did go to Hamilton. That was second of everybody. But it seems that um, this whole no Cypod construction configuration 2.0 isn't really pulling out all the stops, particularly when you see experts, commentators saying that they could fall back to P4, they could be P3. They're, they're fighting now with the upper echelons of the midfield, which could be Aston Martin, for example, and maybe even Alpine, which has been a bit of an enigma in terms of that constructor, but less about them. But um, it seems really they're doing what they did last season, struggling with performance and fudging it, really. They, they're getting there to the top or near the top of the timesheets of Lewis Hamilton, as we saw there, but they're not too sure how they're doing that. They're still making a few mistakes. They're still you know, unsure about how good their car really is and in my view they haven't really improved or learnt that much from last season granted this is only testing we'll see far more when it comes to the racecraft but I'm not getting a confident feel for Mercedes which we were told they were going to be up there again they'd fixed all the issues porpoising what you know Cypods is the way to go and looking at it from a PR optics perspective at the very least look at the numbers as well it looks like it could be another middling season for Mercedes which we won't really promise that, and I doubt the drivers have promised such either, really. Yeah, and can I can I just throw a curveball in for for winners as well? Um, I was thinking Felipe Drogovic may mm. be counted as one of the <laughs> biggest winners from testing because yeah. if you haven't been following the the story at Aston Martin, the second driver was not supposed to be Felipe Drogovic, but none other than the owner's son, Lance Stroll, the owner of Aston Martin, um, being. Lawrence Stroll um, and Lance unfortunately had quite a looks like really nasty uh, bike accident the rumor is he's broken both his wrists which would be incredibly unlucky but it has allowed Felipe Drogovic um, to, to drive the Aston Martin and 12th 12th fastest on day three I think that's a pretty solid drive from someone who has not driven that car and participated in Formula One, I would say that if you wanted to make a bit of an impression, that's that's kind of how you do it, right? Yeah, same with Logan Sargent as well, actually, beating Alex Albon, not to bang the Williams drum again, but the rookies are doing very well in testing, and granted it is only testing, and you want to see more on, on the track, so to speak, come this weekend, but a good start, a better than I thought from both of them, really. I think Drogovic could go on to race in this race and, um, yeah, have a few heads turning, really. What about you, Angus? Yeah, it's um. I have to admit, it was news to me that he'd broken both his wrists, uh, Lance Stroll. If that is proven to be true, but yeah, that would yeah, you're right. That is incredibly unfortunate, and I feel I feel bad saying that Filippo Drogovic is um, 
is a winner, but it is um, what's the phrase? That Schadenfreude when you is that when you benefit from others' misfortune? Uh, I think that's or is that laugh at others' misfortune? Anyway, the point being that <laughs> Filipe Drogovic, you're right. I feel bad in saying it, but he has benefited from someone else's misfortune um, in getting a test run, another test run in the Aston Martin car, um, and I think at the end of the day. Drogovic is no slouch. He did win the F2 Championship last season, admittedly in like his third or fourth season, but he still won the thing. So I think that should Lance Stroll be ruled out for a race or two or for however long, could be an enabled deputy, could uh, Mr. Drogovic. And it'd be interesting to see how he gets on, if he gets on, if you know what I mean. But yeah, he, he could mm. arguably very soon be seen as a winner in a, in a funny sort of way. Absolutely. It's, and... I think if you are if you are interested in in some of the the technical details that have been have been um, flagged by the um, F1 testing, there are some fantastic uh, videos produced by the um, F1 TV team on on YouTube, and they go into and, and they point out the some of the developments this year, and there are some really interesting ones as well. Ferrari, for example, have benefited greatly from Mercedes' innovation with the. Um, with some bodywork last year, which uh, which Mercedes actually ended up not arguing was was um, with the FIA about its legality, and so dropped it off their their car. This it's actually a wire on the on the car. Um, that anyway. Um, but Ferrari have looked at that and said, actually, you know what? We're going to argue that it is legal and have put it on their car, and so they benefited from um, some of these points from last year. Um, and also, there have been front um, new little winglets on the on the um, front front wing as well Haas for example have, have developed that through their, their wind tunnel time so they've, they've been a pretty big winner and there are so many little details that we can't we don't have time to talk about this um, this week but um, certainly if, if, if you're interested in some of the technical side I would implore you to to head over and and um, watch some of the fantastic um, YouTube videos by the F1 TV team who are actually there in Bahrain um, Sam especially from the TV uh, F1 TV lineup explains it mm. in great detail and also in a way that's really access- accessible to anyone so would highly recommend that so um, perhaps we can all be winners by having participating in that that free content that's also good. out on YouTube very mm. good unfortunately though not all of us can be winners looking at testing I've alluded to Mercedes being a quasi loser so far for my expectations at least but we can't go away from testing without really addressing the elephant in the room and that's McLaren Angus our thoughts on yet another dismal really run for McLaren after they lost Andres Erdel and um, have got a new rookie in as well yeah I wonder if um, those around Lana Norris will be uh, skimming scanning examining the contract uh, that hasn't been there till 2025. Wondering if there's a way out because um, <laughs> I'm sure this will be a, something which may rage on for the rest of the season. But yes, they look very underwhelming. It doesn't bode well. Doesn't give you great confidence in your organisation when they came out a few days before testing and said, "Yeah, we've missed a few development targets." Um, when that happens, it's not a great start. Um, yeah, yeah, the car didn't seem particularly fast. It reminds me of last year when remember they came out the blocks very slow they were almost last year i mean they were they were awful the first couple of races they were like the eighth yeah. or ninth fastest team together with like it was basically mercedes engines cars started the year really poorly last year so aston martin were also rubbish um <laughs> but mclaren might look like they're about to repeat the similar th- um thing from last year because yeah their car looked slow it didn't look like it drove well around the lap and bahrain is a circuit which has those long straights has those sort of faster corners and also lots of tight braking zones so it's a good barometer for car performance we'd like to think and yeah the mclaren was was pretty rubbish um so it's very interesting yeah like you said as well andreas seidel departing the team key figurehead um team principal what does that say that he's deciding to leave admittedly he's leaving for a big corporate organization manufacturer in audi which is a big draw but it must say something that he's uh, decided to jump ship. And what f- confidence must Lando Norris have in his uh, his team right now to deliver? Um, I'd be interested to see. We we can obviously discuss his future further down the line. But um want to get your thoughts on, yeah, what you think, how bad a situation you think McLaren are in right now. Very difficult to be a McLaren fan at this moment. It's not the uh, pre-season testing that they would have wanted, obviously. And uh, they, they ran 
the fewest number of laps in day one. Had problems with the what we're dubbing wheel brows. I don't know what the technical term is for the the wheel brows, but they are the the scalloped um, bit of uh, carbon fiber that that crest over the top of the wheels. There are many names um, for it by the fans, but wheel brow seems to be the most popular across. Um, the the other media platforms so we, i think i'll stick to that for the moment but i'm sure there is a technical name for for what <laughs> those are wheel winglets i don't know um but they had wobbly wheel brows and they th- by the end of a few laps they were basically breaking off and i watched mclaren dig out the duct tape i mean they don't call it duct tape they call it like you know metallic engineering tape but it's duct tape and a heat gun and start strengthening up and they've actually got some extra some reinforced parts coming ready for the first race so that won't happen during a race i mean he- i mean that would be totally mclaren wouldn't it them driving around and then suddenly i mean to pit lando norris to you know bring out the duct tape to, to stick it back hmm. down it remind me of um <laughs> azerbaijan a few years ago or a couple of years ago when uh, lewis hamilton had to get his headdress duct taped down because it was popping up but totally bizarre the the fact that they weren't ready for this potential issue maybe it was a weight saving issue um because they've been you know cutting down the amount of carbon fiber but mclaren awful and lando norris punched a wall because he was so angry by the by the situation Mm -hmm. they i think look like a team that have been struggling to progress properly maybe like a direction maybe problem with engineers maybe it's it's a management direction there has been a lot of uh, rumors circulating from supposedly ex-employees basically saying that whilst mclaren has the engineers it has the facilities management is just rubbish there and i i you know i can well believe that actually because these are the kind of issues that occur when management is poor uh, like i said earlier about williams turning up late to testing well part of that would have been poor management it seems to me like they've kind of got that issue at mclaren as well they just don't really necessarily have a direction um, or at least poor management, and that means Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri is are going to be stuck there at the bottom with with nowhere to go. I mean, Piastri was the second slowest of anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, and yes, this is only testing, but my goodness, this is just hard to watch. So I don't know what what do you think is going to be the future for for Lando if they keep going at this poor pace. It looks really bleak, doesn't it, really? Not only for him, but for Oscar Piastri as well. I mean, the fact that the rookie is comparing this to an F2 car, I mean, of course, there's going to be some hyperbole in that. There's going to be some emotion in that, and that's not strictly true. But to be saying that and to be taken semi-seriously shows the dire straits that McLaren are in, really. And it does make me think, has this era of McLaren, this Zac Brown era, this Lando Norris era, this resurgence of McLaren, has it peaked when it got that P4 uh, years ago and where Norris came so close to that victory and we had that 1-2 in Monza? Have we seen the peak of this era of McLaren? And are they now sort of plateauing and going back down to how they were in let's say 2015 2016 I hope not but if I was Lando Norris I'd be making my team my PR my management team very much aware that that is a possibility and I would like an out because being no doubt Norris is an incredibly good driver he doesn't want to be languishing round in 14th, 15th, 16th, more than he had to uh, from the last season and the start of you know Bahrain, Saudi Arabia and the circuits we saw there. And I would have thought as well, from a, a managerial standpoint, from a team standpoint as well, they'd have seen that dire start to last season as a, as a warning sign, a slap in the face almost to go... This could happen again if we go, don't go and improve things and we don't go and you know make additional changes where it's needed. We don't keep ahead of the competition. It seems to fall into that trap once again. And it's very easy last season to go and say, oh, well, you know, McLaren are doing so poorly because of Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo is the problem. Oh, dear. If we just get rid of him, we'd be so much better and we high up the points. But maybe now he's gone and we've got a rookie coming in and things are stagnating at the top. Maybe we'll see the other players, not name anyone, but other players may be the reason why things have uh, stagnated at McLaren. Hope they don't stagnate, but it's a very real possibility looking at them in terms of their reliability and also their, their pace as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and Angus, do you think part of the issue with McLaren maybe is they they bear in mind looking at that peak that was in the end of the last last era's regulations. So do you think perhaps it could be because they they peaked at the wrong time? They threw all their eggs into last year's regulations, and this time it's caught caught them out. Now that we've moved last year to the new um, style of cars. 
it's it's an interesting point. It's it's one where I think that it's, there's never a year we can throw all the money at a certain type of regulations. I guess the one time would be when the regulations change completely, and that's what they did last year, and they didn't make the most of it. I want to refer back to your point as well uh, that you made earlier about the ex-employees referencing a lack of vision or a lack of cohesion with like the strategy of the team. And I find that really interesting because I always thought when I saw when you had that sort of that 2019 20 2021 period where McLaren were getting better they were sort of they won that race at Monza 2021 and you had like Norris you had the chart you had the constant charm offensive in the media from Zach Brown and mm. Andreas Seidel with a good head on his shoulders um and I always used to think I used to think damn McLaren are a well-run team they've got uh some good leadership they've got people who are passionate and who are charismatic in leadership they've got uh, a star of the future and then they went and got Daniel Ricciardo and you thought wow they are like motoring and they will be sorted if they uh, and then we thought well if they if they get the 2022 regulations right then you know they could be world champions who knows we could it could be an amazing transformation and it's interesting that I always thought that because you, I, I literally did think, oh, they got their heads screwed on. They're like, they know what they're doing. They're sort of got clear vision, clear strategy. They're all on the same page. And now, two years later, that's completely the opposite. Um, and yeah, it does seem now like it's, it's really easy to see things in hindsight, but it does seem now they sort of they're lacking strategy and lacking vision. And yeah, it's not something I necessarily saw it coming, but um, it's interesting to see their downfall. But one thing we do have to remember is it is just testing. So we are making all these all these pontifications, all these ponderances on uh, on three days of running. But until they turn a wheel in practice, the the main one is until they turn a wheel in qualifying on that Saturday afternoon. That's when they turn turn the engines up, go for it in qualifying. That's when we'll see the current true pecking order. So um, really looking forward to seeing that. So the whilst McLaren for for you were a biggest losers for me um and Tom maybe uh you'd like to feed into this a little bit for me it was is Williams mm. were one of the biggest losers and really? uh, yeah well this is the mm. this is my analysis of the situation for them they were 2.3 seconds faster than last year which is you know really good it sounds really fantastic but red bull 1.4 seconds faster than last year and williams mm-hmm. were miles behind red bull um uh, and so it feels like there's a bit of a fight at the bottom a little bit uh, and this is i i think we were expecting williams to come out with a little bit more given that they have such an advantage in terms of the amount of wind tunnel time that they get you know, we we're talking about nearly 50% more than than red bull and they just can't make it work at the moment. The car seemed to be all right. Uh, they were all suffering with a bit of understeer. So that's when you turn the car and the car just keeps wanting to go in a, in a straight line. And uh, clearly there was, you know, trying things with setups, trying to get you know, more downforce, maybe a little bit less downforce, changing the, the rear differential, more lock, less lock, that sort of stuff, try and, try and counter it. But it seemed like to me that whilst it was... It was all right. It just it wasn't going anywhere. And, and for, to me, with the amount of investment that Drilton Capital, who have bought to the Williams name, are, are pumping into it, with the fact that we've now got um, James, um, who who worked for Mercedes as their chief strategist, as their team principal, I'm just hoping for a little bit more. Well, I know James won't really help very much because this was all going on in the background before he joined there but i was just expecting everything to come out a little bit a bit faster just to catch up that's all i wanted a little bit more of a catch up but it seems to me that i just it didn't look like a car that had particularly innovated with the the opportunities in the wind tunnel and and the amount of money they've been getting from from investment and and pushed forward the the most innovative i think uh, thing on the on the williams car is the integration of the Duracell battery on the air intake, hmm. which looks really funny, but I quite, hmm. quite dig it. Interesting, yeah. I think it's fair to say that Williams haven't pulled up any trees, but I do stand by the fact that they have made gains on other teams that seem to have plateaued further, for example. I think of Alpha Tauri. I think they've been on a bit of a slide for a number of years now, and I thought, well, maybe they're going to go and readdress things with Nick DeVries coming in when it came to testing, and it's a blip last season. But I think that they're sliding more backwards from their higher point, while Williams, it seems, are 
making small gains but going in the right direction. So I think it'd be harsh to describe them as the biggest loser as such when testing. I'd, I'd put that more at sort of AlphaTauri's door personally, but that may be me trying to save some face in my earlier suggestion that they were the winners, Williams that is. But uh, our thoughts here on AlphaTauri, do you think that they're sliding backwards? Do you concur with what I say or maybe not? Hard to tell. Hard to tell, I think. One thing that isn't hard to tell is that I was having a look at their car design earlier and I think it's a bit rubbish. It's a bit awful. <laughs> I know we did liveries last week, but that's just something that came to mind. I had to say it. But anyway, the more, revel- the more relevant point. Um, I don't know. It's... um. It's a bit of a conundrum, Alpha Tauri, because we're still waiting to see how the effect of them hiring Nick DeVries, how that impacts them. Because I've read stories about how Nick DeVries is a very uh, hard worker. He's very, um, he's got a very high attention to detail um, in terms of his workload and work ethic. Um, and he basically went in and told Alpha Tauri, "Your car's rubbish. Your design's rubbish. We should do this instead." And they have been willing to listen to him and be receptive because at the end of the day, they spent the whole of last year trying things, wondering what was going on. And they end up in ninth in the Constructors' Championship. And for a team where there have also been rumours going around that Red Bull are seeing them as more of a liability and maybe open to selling the team uh, or relocate them to the UK instead of having them out in Italy. Um it's a year where Alpha Tower, you think, have to step up their game. And Nick DeVries, it looks like, could be playing a big part in this. Um, it speaks volumes that a rookie seems to be already having that much of a, a say, that much of a uh, like a, a sway in, in sort of decision-making in the car. Um, and they posted some promising times from both Sonoda and DeVries across the, the entirety of the test. Whether that remains to be... Whether that, whether that materialises in actual strong performance... It's difficult to tell, but yeah, I'm going to be really annoying here. I'm going to sit on the fence and say I don't know where they'll actually uh, where they'll end up. But I think perhaps the main perhaps the main thing is that there are other teams which strike out more in terms of having had a beneficial or profitable test. So I'm thinking ones like Haas looked looked pretty decent. Aston Martin we've spoken about Alpine not set the world on fire, but are quietly confident about their chances. Um, even someone like Alfa Romeo looking pretty decent. So Alfa Tauri may have got better, yes, but possibly other teams have got more better, if that makes sense. But um, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, yeah, poor English, that. That's, that's um, why I'm they tune just, into this. <laughs> yeah, more better. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to get your guys' thoughts, because for me, I'm not I'm not sure, but then, yeah, I, yeah I'm, like I said, sitting on the fence a bit. But what do you guys think? I, I think Alfa Tauri went for an absolute glory run um, on the on the last day, and what do I mean by that? I mean they literally drained the tank out of fuel, chucked on a, a fast tire, uh, and, and and basically went for it. See how fast they get round. Actually, they used the C4 tire, um, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we new tires actually are testing. I know we haven't talked spoken about t- tires, but um, just to let you know about tires, this year we've got a new tire compound. So last last year, uh, we had tire hardness um which started at at c1 so compound one and then moved up c2 c3 c4 and and c5 and this time they they said you know what there's too much a difference between the hardest compound c1 and the second hardest compound uh c2 so what they did instead is they shifted the compound one backwards to c0 and put in a tire in between there so we now have c0 c1 c2 c3 c4 and c5 brilliant (laughs) easy (laughs) that's really easy isn't it yeah why didn't they start at one and just go to six i will never know because they could have just shifted everything else up by one but absolutely no idea what they were doing there so yeah he was setting a tire um fast time on the c4 tires so that's the second softest that um pirelli have in the range and hardly any fuel and he absolutely went for it and he you know it got a pretty fast lap but uh, that was a glory run that was their their moment other than that the car looked slow it looked well over a second um slower than red bull and and just over a second slower as well from Ferrari Aston Martin I just I think AlphaTauri are going to be at the back of the pack 
they mm. clearly this is going to be very speculative but i suggest that they just went for a quick run and went yeah look look we're, we're faster look how fast we are and when we actually come to see how fast they actually are during qualifying um next saturday uh, and even maybe in free practice as well they're going to be way off the pace given williams's progress i'm wondering whether or not williams will actually be fighting alpha tauri it could be a race to see who can scramble for 17th 18th position between Williams and AlphaTauri. Absolutely, and I think that's what I was alluding to when I said they had a, a good testing versus AlphaTauri. And without getting too existential about it, I'm not too sure what the purpose of AlphaTauri is anymore because they've got a blend now of a driver who's not been in Formula One previously until his latter stages, you know, sort of his late twenties. You've got a young driver who's never going to get into the Red Bull team. Nick De Vries isn't going to get a chance with the Red Bull Works team either. I'm not really sure, too sure why they're there aside from making up the numbers really. And looking at the testing, looking at last season, looking at where they they were last season and their optics for this one, they're going to be fighting for the wooden spoon again, aren't they? Surely. So you think, well, what is the point of them actually being a Works team for Red Bull if they're giving them next to no sort of benefit or improvement aside from a cost strain, really? But I'd love to be proved wrong. To make Red Bull look better. Huh. And there to to sell clothes too. Well, you know, Pass and Alfa Romeo do that for Ferrari without being bolted on as a quote unquote sister team. So you can have your cake and eat it. But um, yeah, I I, th- I feel that AlphaTauri, formerly Toro Rosso, have really slid down the packing order. I think that will translate to the first weekend and many more weekends to come. And I think Williams will will be the victor of that with a with a P nine finish and. The constructors and higher up in the drivers as well that are getting onto our predictions too early, but there we go. Do you think, um, Angus, that they'll rue the, the day that they they let Pierre Gasly leave the Red Bull family and especially AlphaTauri? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it depends if Alpine produce a belter of a car. Um, I think that Gasly had to leave for his own self-worth to prove that he can sort of flee the nest and do it outside the Red Bull uh house shall we say um i think that bringing in nick de Vries is a good replacement he won't be up to speed immediately he might be but he won't be up to speed as gasly was but i think nick de Vries will be a very shrewd replacement um i think that yeah it's a, you, it's a, <laughs> tom basically saying what's the point of alpha tauri but um i i sort of i sort of agree in that they are sort of becoming more of a bit of a sort of bit more of a dead team because they are sort of yeah they're just they're ne- they're not really there to win they're there to make up the numbers they are also their one purpose which was um to serve the to Red Bull is not really happening anymore because Gasly's gone Sonoda's not getting in the main team they've chosen a driver from outside the Red Bull stable to be their second driver in Sergio Perez um yeah their downfall really has been Quite something. I remember that probably the first year I watched F1 2008 where Toro Rosso and Red Bulls, this is back in the days where teams would be uh, very, very closely aligned. So basically Toro Rosso had a, in 2008, they had a 2007 Red Bull car with an with a Ferrari engine. And they beat Red Bull for the only time ever. It was the year that Vettel won his first race. Um, and since then, Red Bull kind of took that personally. And I've never let them anywhere near... Um, <laughs> Oh, anywhere yeah. near because they've never been anywhere near since then not even like i don't know less than five positions apart in the constructors so but yeah letting go of gasly is yeah a decision which they might rue i think it'd be better for gasly but um yeah alpha tari looking like a in, a in a time where italy are the perennial holders of the wooden spoon in the six nations um an italian team Looks like it could start to become the perennial holders of the wooden spoon, the Formula One wooden spoon. So with the season nearly upon us, it's time to look at the driver pairings in each team, or at least a few of them, and see which one is going to be finishing higher than the other as the more evenly matched ones, shall we say. So first of all, I'm going to read out two names, i.e. the driver pairings for Mercedes that start off, and you have to go and say which one is going to finish higher and why. So Lewis Hamilton versus George Russell. Tristan, who is finishing higher? Who's finishing lower? Oh, that that one. Um, ah, uh, blimey. Uh, uh, George Russell. Oh, Lewis Hamilton. No, George Russell. Guys, gonna be so close. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go with George Russell because he has the absolute drive 
And Lewis Hamilton, I think, whilst is an incredible driver, perhaps may let George shine just for a bit um, in his good nature. And also George beat Hamilton last time, so maybe he'll he'll be able to do it again. I'm going to say Lewis Hamilton higher, George Russell lower. Because last year, Hamilton was the one who, in the start of the year, when the Mercedes car was awful, sacrificed his setup, tried different things to try and get to the bottom of the issues. When they got to the bottom of the issues a bit more, Hamilton was the one who started to pick up the pace and consecutively beat Russell in qualifying and races. He may be 38, but he's like Alonso. He's like a fine wine. He's getting better with age. And Mm. I think this is the year where he wrestles that stamp of authority back in the Mercedes team. One of us will be right, Angus. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) 50-50. Just out of interest, though, which one of those drivers won a race last season? Exactly. Uh, exactly. George Russell. I think that Mr. Russell in the ascendancy and Hamilton is still very much up there like Alonso is and is one of the best drivers of all time. But with Mercedes looking, let's mm, say, not, neither here nor there and Russell having a good uh, ability to go and wrangle the best out of a poor car with Williams and Mercedes and seasons gone by, I think, yeah, Russell will be the man to, to nick it from Hamilton. But nick it more than, uh, sort of, I suppose, really twist the knife in like he did last season. By the way, as as we're quickly talking about the the, the win for Russell... Um, absolute scenes that Drive to Survive, spoiler alert, did not feature Brazil in oh, yeah. any of their episodes. I, that is, mm. I'm shocked. Shocked, shocked and stunned. and Russell. Ha- they, mm. they have something against George Russell. Um, they didn't feature him at all in season three. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, it's not, it's not worthy to talk about George Russell's first win and Mercedes' <laughs> only win um, last year. But... Hey, I'm not. I'm not a producer, so maybe they, you know, thought that Matteo Bonotto and um, Gunter Steiner driving around Italy in a in a Fiat 500 was was premium content. But you know, it's just me. Each to their own. Uh, so number two, then Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon, the frenemies, if you will. Who's finishing higher? Who's finishing lower? I'm thinking that Ocon is higher, Gasly lower, because Ocon is a weird one in that. Nobody ever seems to rate him, yet he actually does rather well, and he historically has performed well against a variety of teammates. The exception was Ricardo, where he flagged a bit, but he performed well against Fernando Alonso when everyone thought he was going to get battered. He performed well against Sergio Perez when everyone thought he was again going to get battered. Um, and Gasly, new team, we know how good Gasly is, but he dropped his level a little bit last year. He's in a new team. And I'd say that Ocon, with the experience that he has in the Alpine team, and also the fact he's probably better than people give him credit for, Mm. will take this one. Totally agree with you, Angus. I think Ocon, absolutely solid driver. I I think having some experience in Alpine is going to be the the key to unlocking his success. And if he can't rely on, on pure speed, Ocon also has a rather ruthless nature about his driving style, especially with his teammates, and could just keep punting Pierre off the track. At um, least <laughs> <laughs> we forget the uh, instances between him and Sergio Perez back when they were both at racing point. So, yeah, that ruthless nature paired with a... Um, uh, a com- competition of of who can be the most French driver in the French team <laughs> that I think is going to propel Ocon to the top spot out of those two. Absolutely. Full house for him. I think he's a very underrated driver. You've got Gasly betting into a new team as well. And I do think that Ocon will one day fulfil his dream of going to Mercedes and perhaps replacing Lewis Hamilton in time gone by. Because I think that really he is an incredibly reliable driver. And um, I think he's going to be the reason why Alpine have a better season than expected. I think they'll be up there again fighting for P4, 5 and 6. And um, hopefully, because I'm a bit of an Ocon fanboy for listeners who have been with us for a while or indeed a short period I hope uh, they do finish fourth and he's vindicated further but there we go and number three for enemies 2.0 Hulkenberg versus Magnussen the experienced team quote unquote who's finishing higher who's finishing lower there's only one driver that I think is is going to be uh, getting more podiums for Haas if they have the potential for for Haas. I say more podiums for Haas, a podium for Haas if they have potential for, for podiums. And 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 that's Kevin Magnussen starting on a pole position in, in Brazil. 
uh, last year, I think, proved to everybody how good uh, Magnussen was. A, a real underrated driver, another massive underrated driver. And I think a driver that can extract quite a lot out of that that has car. It helps is a great great relationship with the with the team. Even if he did smash up Gunter Steiner's door, um, it <laughs> seems like those days are, are long behind him. And he's he's gone from smashing doors to absolutely smashing out of the park at, at Haas in terms Ew. of performance. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, I, mean, I, I wrote that one down earlier, so I'd be able to put it in the in the <laughs> podcast. Um, so fantastic from him. I, mean, I think his performance is it was fantastic last year. I don't see why this can't continue. And look, Hulkenberg's got a bit of unlucky unlucky streak within him. He seems to crumble a bit under the pressure. He did so at Re- uh, Renault, and there is a reason why he, he got ejected from that team. Not that I think he's necessarily going to do that bad, but I just think I think Kevin Magnussen is currently the number one driver at Haas, and I think Haas are putting everything behind him in terms of the upgrades and also the, the team spirit. So I, although I wish Hulkenberg all the best and really hope they do really well together, I think Magnussen will be the the team captain there although that might cause some massive friction because those two do not like each other at all mm. i didn't write this one down in preparation but i think it has to be uh, kevin magnuson who's going to finish uh, uh, <laughs> simply because i mean the guy got a pole position in a house last year for goodness sake he's clearly in a team environment in a uh sort of a group of people where he feels incredibly comfortable and therefore I'm backing him all the way against Nico Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg's had what? He hasn't been in F1 full-time since 2019. That's a long time. He's been in around it for sure, but he's only completed, was it two races in the last three years? So he's been out of it. He's not been in amongst it as much as some, as someone like Magnussen for obvious reasons, because he's not been driving. And, I don't see any way in which he beats Magnussen. Also, he's 35 now and he's a bit older, so who's to say he will beat his actual best mm. that he used to be? It is interesting. And I've not written this one down, but I think Kevin Magnussen is going to beat Hulkenberg because I think the force is with him when it comes to um, Formula One, Haas, everything to do with the sport, really. I think the Hulkenberg is going to be playing catch-up this season. I'd be very surprised if he comes anywhere near him, really. I think we're going to see a bit of a repetition like we did last season with Magnussen storming ahead and then his teammates sort of trying desperately to keep up but failing. And I think that will perhaps vindicate the performances by one mixture who will be in and around the paddock uh, come this season of Formula 1 with Mercedes this time and going, hey, all this talk of me being too expensive, not reliable enough, not there, not ready, look at me now, because I think the Hulkenberg really wasn't the best choice. There's talk of all the experience this partnership will bring, but as we say, there's a reason why Hulkenberg was dumped from Formula 1, was only a reserve driver for many a year, but credit to him for coming back and getting himself a, a full-time job again in this spot, really, because very rarely done, very rarely done, especially from someone who's with respect, not won a race at a world championship, so uh, credit to you, but um, I think, yeah, once again, a full house of Mr. Magnussen, and I think uh, I'd be very surprised if that doesn't happen as well on the track for him. And last but not least, round four, we've got our old friends of Yuki Tsunoda and Nick DeVries, who we recently spoke about. Who's finishing higher and who's finishing lower? I think it's DeVries, to be honest with you, even though he's the rookie. I think that he has racing pedigree in other categories, Formula E and Formula 2. What he produced on his debut last year in a Williams, yes, caveat is the grid was jumbled up and he kind of started near the points anyway. But he came in... He dispatched off Nicholas Latifi, even though he had driven the car for the first time a mere 28 hours earlier. Um, and for me, we forget he's 28 years old, so he's not exactly a rookie. He's got he's quite he's probably the one of the most experienced rookies we've had in Formula One for a long, long time. Um, so yeah, I think for me, De Vries has this in the bag to be honest, because Sonoda is does not proven really that he is up to the mark in F1 as much in the last couple of years. So for me, it's clear and obvious De Vries will finish higher. That's, I, I don't think it is as clear as and obvious to me. And what's weird about what you were saying then was if you, f- if you really throw your minds back to when Yuki debuted, do you remember having the exact same discussion about how mm. Yuki was going to be this up-and-coming incredible driver with mm. immense speed? Yeah. And it kind of just didn't occur 
Instead, it turned into a bit of meme, either uh, Nicholas Latifi in Williams last year and year before, or Yuki Sonoda bringing out the safety cars. You know, nothing like a boring race and having one of those two do something interesting to uh, mix up for us a little bit. I I do think, actually, Yuki's going to be a bit faster. Whilst he certainly has some issues on track, uh, perhaps he pushes it far too far too quickly. I think he actually does have some excellent speed within um, within his ability. And I believe in him to, to produce that. His consistency is going to be the question. And I think a bit like how Max went from being quite... Uh, young in the sport and immature having that development over time um i think yuki's going to have the same sort of progression arc through the through the sport i think this year he's going to mature up a little bit and i can't wait to be completely wrong when we are reviewing this um at the at the end of the year but that's where i am at the moment i think he's going to mature a little bit this year a little less swearing on the on the track perhaps a little more i know kid friendly for uh, the listeners um <laughs> tuning into formula one and and perhaps that that maturity will reflect his consistent performance um on track yeah tricky one this close to i think probably a lot of these that we've mentioned i think you've got one case for sonoda saying he's young upcoming he's got a lot of quality to show us but then you go well he didn't really show that last year when he was inconsistent at best in his debut season. They look at Nick DeVries and go, well, look at the many years he's had in Formula 1. He's easily going to smoke this kid. But you think, well, is he that good if he's not been in a Formula 1 works team so far with a proper seat like many have had before with less talent? I'm not too sure, really. So I don't think he's going to blow the doors up, so to speak. But I think he's going to be more consistent than Sonoda. So probably just edging. I think he will probably be the reason why they don't finish last versus the reason why they finish last if they indeed do. But, I mean, the fact we're talking about that, it doesn't bode well for Avatar. I hate to bang the drum again, but it's not looking good for them, really. But I'd love to be proved wrong. And last but not least, our predictions for this upcoming season. Some are going to be bold, some are going to be tame. But we'll start off with the obvious. Who is winning the World Drivers' Championship for Formula 1 2023? Tristan. I knew you were going to pick me first. The winner of the Formula 1 2023 Championship is going to be Max Verstappen. Oh, what a boring choice. I know, it is a boring choice, but... I think he's got the wind in his sails. I can see it. Um, who knows if it's going to be three, four, five, or six wins for for Max? Actually, it was six. Um, but I, I I think he's he's looking really good, really strong, absolute pinnacle of his sport. It reminds me when we were looking at at um, Mercedes in like two thousand and fifteen, thinking, oh, okay, there's something here. There really is something here. He's won again, and right, okay, what's mm. going to happen next? Of course, you know, um, we move on from there, but. I think Max is absolutely on top performance. I can't wait to see what he pulls out from, from this year. But it's going to be, I think, another Red Bull-dominated year. And that ends with a Red Bull-dominated uh, constructors and drivers. And Max, I think, is going to deliver that. I think Red Bull have just got all of their their resources behind Max. I think it's incredibly obvious that Zhou Guan Yu is going to it now, <laughs> It's obviously going to be... <laughs> three off there it's obviously going to be Max Verstappen to be honest with you the Red Bull mm. car looks quick he's the best driver on the grid I'm convinced in saying that even if the Red Bull was the second best car on the grid there's an argument to say that Verstappen would still win the championship such as his superiority in terms of driving ability and also what his confidence level is at mm. um, and it's the paradox of you have to win a world championship to sort of make yourself more hard to beat but the more that you let a rival win the world championship, the harder they become to beat. Like how Lewis Hamilton became more and more difficult to topple the more championships he won. Same with Michael Schumacher. Verstappen will be the same. Him with two championships under his under his belt will arguably be doubly tough to beat compared to Verstappen with one under his belt. So for me, Max is going to be champion for the third time. He's going to go level with the ones such as Ayrton Senna and Jackie Stewart in terms of world championships. Mm. Come on, Tom, what about you? What's your what, what's your prediction for 2023 Drivers' Champion? 
Well, I think it's quite clearly going to be Yuki Tsunoda. No, no. Um, Verstappen as well. I can't see anyone beating him. I think all the stars are aligning in terms of quality, in terms of car, in terms of, I suppose, rivals tripping over themselves as well. I think it's going to be another Verstappen-dominated year. So, um, yeah, I think that was done and dusted. But what about constructors? Do we feel it could be a bit tighter there? Could another team topple Red Bull? Or is it going to be a, a double win, if you will, a, a double for Red Bull yet again? No, I'm going to keep that short. Red Bull, just going to be Red Bull, isn't it? Okay. Angus? Agreed. If the world champion driver is going to be from Red Bull... It's likely the second driver will have enough in the tank to keep up their Constructors' Championship streak and, well, keep it up, extend it to two. What are your fools? Because it's going to be Ferrari. Ooh. It's going to be Ferrari. Here we go. Ferrari Ferrari have got their worst enemies within their own team. Uh, I I think (laughs) at one point, though, with Big Fred coming in, there's going to be a... A mental cleaning out of the house, a strategic cleaning out of the house. And I do think they've got, when it comes to driver pairings, arguably the most consistent top-level driver pairings at the two still. Um, mm. I do think that both are capable of being world champions, not this season, but uh, moving forwards. And I think that they've looked very consistent in uh, testing, look, gone about their business very quietly, very professionally. And I think you knock on the door so many times, eventually someone's going to come in and open up for you. So I think they're going to do it, but it could be very close. Yeah, and I, whilst I agree... Perez proved himself to be a, a, a almost an equal match for, for Leclerc and at one point overtook Leclerc in terms of the driver's standings last year. So I personally think that Perez is, is a pairing from, with Max and a, a, it, as a package it's going to be better than Ferrari can produce. But I can't wait to find out. You know, I hope, I hope I'm wrong for the sake of, of the interestingness of, of this upcoming season. Absolutely, and I hope you're wrong as well for the sake of my pride. But um, last but not least then, our bold prediction to give to our listeners before we wrap up. Let's start with Angus first. Um, You may remember last year that I predicted a certain Aston Martin German world champion to win a race, and that went badly wrong because he never got anywhere near it. Um, However, that's not put me off, and my prediction (laughs) is... Arguably less, <laughs> arguably less bold. <laughs> yeah, I know. Arguably less bold, knowing what we know about Aston Martin, but it still is bold. To be fair, so I'm going to say that Fernando Alonso will stand on the top step of the podium I knew at it. a race oh, this year. I, I, I knew think you were that say will that. happen. <laughs> I think Alonso will win a race in twenty. He's got twenty-three different chances too. And who knows, he could take advantage of some of the early season chaos and stand on the top step of the podium. But I think he will at some point in 2023 win a race for Aston Martin. Tom, mm. what about you? What do you think? A bold posit- prediction from you? I think that Alfa Romeo are going to finish fourth. That is bold. Wow. <laughs> I mean, they, are the, they have been labelled as the midfield um, wow. underdogs and, wow. and you know dark horses. Yeah. Dark horse. A very capable <laughs> pairing. All right, Angus. Um, <laughs> I think they've got a lot of quality in their experience, youth and money as well. New team principal, I think they're going to surprise a few, namely six other teams below them. He certainly surprised Angus. Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> he nearly broke him. Um, my, my bold prediction is Williams is going to come seventh. Oh, and you rubbish ooh. them. You I did, rubbish but them it's bold, bold predictions. And <laughs> that's because, I mean, they they have actually made up a couple of seconds in terms of their absolute performance. Um, in, in testing, I think maybe they could be the ultimate sandbaggers. Let, <laughs> you know, we, we always say that Mercedes um, are the ultimate, but I think maybe Williams have got something really up their, their, their sleeves. And let's not forget their new team principal was the ex- um, head of strategy at Mercedes. You know that's not something to discount. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. strategy can be key in Formula One. And let's not forget that's part of the reason why Ferrari didn't manage to win the the constructors' championship last year. So, given yeah. that sometimes you can win in Formula One by capitalising your your rivals' mistakes, I think Williams could come seventh if everything <laughs> went their way. And on the boldest of bold predictions, that's all we've got time for in terms of episode two of F1 in Review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider of choice or elsewhere. Be sure as well to follow us on TikTok and Twitter, the handle being F1 in Review. We post 
shorter the episode that's gone by as well as the full thing. If you want to go and listen that way, you're more than welcome to. And you know, we'll be back next week to discuss everything we've learnt from the first race. Qualifying starts at 3pm on Saturday, the race also 3pm, but of course on Sunday. So we return next week and discuss the cut and razor, if you will, the race one of this season and everything that happened there and things that didn't and everything in between. Until next time, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.